And good afternoon and welcome to Breakthrough Walls, the afternoon edition. So I have um, a, actually a very, very special guest on, somebody I recently met and became friends with. And um, after talking to her for about a 15-minute conversation on the phone, I was like, you know what? You need to be on my show. This woman is amazing. Her name is Anna Liada, and I know I got it right. Anna, welcome to the show. Thank I, I you. Say, you got perfect. That was like I did. Oh, Hallelujah. <laughs> so, so, Anna, you're the president of. One of, of very few. <laughs> what's that? You're one of very few. <laughs> yeah. Look, we had a breakthrough already on Breakthrough Wall. I love it. I love, so, love it. So, Anna, you're the president of the National Speakers Association. Um, you're a speaker yourself, a professional speaker. You're an author. You're, um, I mean, I, you're just a. You're, from what I can tell, you're a. You're just a badass. <laughs> well, that I like it. That's my official next title, badass. <laughs> Put that on your business card. That's right. So, exactly. Forget all of these modality titles. Let's just say statement, <laughs> badass. <laughs> That's right. So, so Anna, <laughs> you, you, um, you know, you and I talked the other day for for quite a while. Um, and I was really, really impressed. But I, I you know, I created this show a couple years ago um, to help people get unstuck in life. And mm -hmm. as you and I were discussing, um, there's a lot of people that are stuck right now. Yes. And and you're fielding a lot of those calls. I am. We're getting a lot of, um, you know, I, I see it a lot on online. You know, just people are concerned, I guess would be, would yeah. be the word. Um, so let, you know, let's kind of start out a little bit with, um, giving the audience a little bit of your background, like where, okay. where you're from, where you were born and raised. Start All there. Right. All right. Well, I was born and raised in Eastern Washington state. I grew up in a teeny tiny town. Well, in the country next to a teeny tiny town called Colfax, Washington. So um, the thing that makes it even more interesting is that I am the youngest girl of 19 children. Oh, my. <laughs> yes. So you guys did not have a TV. You know, we didn't for the longest time. For the longest time, we did not have a TV. But there was another little ingredient in it, which was my parents were very Catholic. And there is a little bit of a romantic story that goes to it. My mom married her high school sweetheart when she was 16. They grew up in Montana in a little logging community. And by the time she was 28 years old, she'd had the first 10 kids. And oh uh, yeah. What? <laughs> Can you imagine? being 28 and being expecting your 10th child. No, I can't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was a poop, 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 poop. Her husband had also been from a large family, the oldest of 12 and very, very Catholic. And, but it, but it, but the story thickens from there because when my mom was 28 and her husband at the time was 30, they didn't know it, but he had a congenital heart issue. And he passed away that year from a heart attack. So she was widowed at 28 with 10 kids. So talk oh about walls, my right? God. 
And so she's now, you know, at the time she'd, uh, they'd gotten married when she was 16. So she had like a sophomore in high school education. And she um, basically, her brother-in-laws were living in Spokane, Washington and said to her, Jody, why don't you come over here and we'll share our resources, which was very GI generational coding of them to say, we'll share what we have at one time. At that time, one of them had six kids, one of them had eight kids. And so she did, she packed up her wood panel station wagon of the day, you know, all 10 kids in there. Of course, this was pre-seat belts, right? And drove over the mountain passes and settled in Spokane, Washington. And got the kids into the local cathedral parish school and all the nuns and priests kind of helped watch over this nice young widow with all the kids. And so for the next year, there she was scraping to survive, helping, you know, getting some family help, but, you know, working with those kids. And then one day she gets a phone call from the priests in her church. And they said, Jody, we have this nice bachelor we'd like you to meet. Now she's thinking, no, 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 no. I'm not me. I'm not dating. I'm, you know, newly married. I'm sorry, newly widowed, I should say. Um, but what she didn't know is that a couple weeks earlier, the priest from her parish had driven 60 miles south to play golf with the priests from Pullman, Washington, where the uh, Washington State University is. And afterwards, they were sitting around and they were solving problems. They were, you know, having a little wine, have a little bite to eat. And the priest from her parish said to the priest from that parish, okay, we've got a doozy of a problem. We've got a really juicy one. And they said, okay, you know, what is it? Like we solve these all the time, right? They said, well, we've got this widow in our church and we need to find her a husband. Oh my and, God. And, and, they, and the priests were like, well, what's wrong with her? And they said, oh, nothing's wrong with her. She's fine, but she's got 10 kids. And who in their right mind right, is going to marry a widow with 10 kids? Oh right? Nobody's going to do this. But they were surprised when the other priests got this big smile on their face. And they said, we've got the perfect bachelor. Our local PGA golf pro is 44 years old. And he has said for years that he's never going to get married. He's a bachelor forever at 44, yeah. unless... You can meet a nice young widow with at least eight kids. No way. <laughs> said, no way. And, and you know, they honestly did. They're like, let's set him up. Let's call his bluff. That's really what they were doing. They thought we're calling his bluff. He said for years that he's a confirmed bachelor. Oh, unless it was a joke. Unless, right? That's like, exactly, exactly, exactly. But you and I know, right? Like, be careful what you say oh, because your words create a world, right? And so for years he's saying this and everyone else is jealous of him because he's single, you know, 44 oh has the life. He's a golf pro. He's got his summers, you know, free because he works at the university. Like they're thinking he's it. Right. Oh my God. And so they call his bluff and they write him a letter. And this is where you have, like, you need to know your audience. Right. So yeah. they write him a letter and he opens it up and it says, dear Mr. Liotta, we have a nice young widow in our church we think you might like to meet. Now here's the catch. She's got 10 kids and we know that 10 is a high score in golf. Know your audience, right? <laughs> but her last name is Bird. 
So we think the fact that all of her kids are little birdies, which is a good score, <laughs> right? One under par, will help make up for that. Right? Like, oh this, is like, this is like so intricate that they would do this. And he says, of course, I thought this was a joke. Right. Oh so my God. Best friend who's a doctor and an another friend who's a priest. And he's like, ha ha, guys, funny, funny punk. Like today we'd think it was, you know, uh, at the time we probably would have thought it was on like, your on candid camera kind of thing. Yeah, right. punked me. And they're like, we have no idea what you're talking about. Call the call the person that wrote the letter. So he brings them up, up and he's like, hi, you know. This is Al Layada. I got the letter about the widow. And, you know, he says, you know, are you serious? And the priest said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you interested? Oh, my God. So he said, okay. And the priest said, great. Pick her up Friday, 7 o'clock. And then they called my mother. And this is the first she's heard of it. And she, of course, said, you know, no, no, I'm not, you know, I'm not dating. Thank you. But no. But oh, Friday at seven o'clock pulls my father in the Cadillac convertible. This is a 1962, you know, big blue fins, white leather seats, the whole nine yards. And they end up going out on their first date. And oh. he asked her to marry him that night. <laughs> and she Are thought you he was serious? He said the moment she opened the door, that was it. And she thought he was crazy or a godsend. It took him three months to convince her. But she finally said yes. And a couple of years later, along came a little girl. A couple of years after that, adorable little girl. <laughs> <laughs> and then when I was eight years old, she found out she was expecting my youngest brother. And so that takes us up to 13 kids now. And uh, about a year after my brother was born, she found out she had pancreatic cancer. So we were devastated because this is 1979 oh. and pancreatic cancer today is still a major wall to hit. It is amazing. And at that time, the doctor said, you know, Jody, this, is, this is not good. But she called my dad to her bedside and she said to him, listen, I don't expect you to live the rest of your life alone. I know what it's like to lose your life partner. And there is a perfectly wonderful widow right down the road from us which was his friend in the whole world who had six kids. She'd been widowed. And about a year after my mom passed away, my dad and that lovely widow began to visit at a church social and fell in love. And they celebrated 39 years of marriage. Oh my God. Are you serious? This, this I'm serious. I have never heard a story like this. That is unbelievable. Yeah. They're so, pretty amazing. So your mother had 13? 13 children. That's, a, big, that's a big no. dozen. That's a big. In fact, we got a letter from the Pope when she had the 13th child. And it was like, you know, two thumbs up, Jody. And <laughs> gold embossed florets and, you know, like all the calligraphy and all that. It, it was literally on the wall in our, and when you go up the stairs and then you turn left, boom, there was the Pope. He was the <laughs> Staring you down. You felt guilty if you ever did anything wrong. <laughs> oh my <laughs> Oh my gosh, that is unbelievable. Wow, what a story. So that she had so your your the 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 woman that your father ended up marrying had yes. she had six. Okay. She had six of her own children, and I always call her my bonus mom because she was a gift to our family. She oh. was gracious to us. She was kind to us. And she had been my mother's best friend. So we already liked her. 
right? Wow. And she was an amazing cook. Let's be clear. My <laughs> poor father nearly starved to death in oh, between because we would feed him so many pizzas and hot dogs and fish sticks. Like that was, <laughs> I'm a great baker, but I am not a good cook. I and am really good <laughs> at heating up those frozen fish sticks. Like, right? But that is not what you want for a year of food. We didn't know it till many years later, but like for the entire year, he carried Tums in his pocket, like at all times, because he was always, and so he would like eat before he came home and then he would eat whatever horrible thing us kids prepared for him. Oh, oh it was, yeah. So was how many, okay, so 19 children. I know. Oh. Like that's, so between the my White House wouldn't be big enough to live in. No, because now think about it. So my brothers and sisters between them have 56 children and their kids already have 68 kids. So what? I am an auntie and a great auntie over a hundred times. Oh my God. This is modern day. <laughs> this How, is like today. Like, do you have to take out a second mortgage to go Christmas shopping? <laughs> like, exactly. <laughs> You know, for a lot of years I did. Let's and then once we got to the greats, the you know the the grandkids and well nieces and nephews and then the great nieces and nephews, we finally had to stop and say, listen. For years we did the secret Santa, like we'd swap people up and we'd yeah. you know do the secret, and then finally it people would forget each other and that kind of thing. So we just said, okay, here's the rule: if I am eyeball to eyeball with you on Christmas Day, like if I see the whites of your eyes. We exchange presents, but if if we are remote, we do not exchange presents. It's just too expensive. I mean, <laughs> seriously. That and do you know all their names? Can you pick them all out? Like you know? Oh, okay. So I absolutely know all my brothers and sisters, all their spouses, and all their children's names. It's the greats that get a little confusing, yeah, because they name them some of the most interesting things. <laughs> Like, and they happen so fast. We're at the exponential rate now. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that is oh, unbelievable! Yeah. <clears throat> like <laughs> somebody watching said, I have never heard anything of uh, like that ever. And what kind of a job would you have to like? If you, how do you have? Well, okay, so that's a good comment. That's a good question. My mother was a master gardener a master seamstress uh, and she was a master carpenter. I mean, talk about a Renaissance woman. My bonus mom, she was a good cook and a good baker and a good seamstress and an extraordinary, uh, you know, at, at creating a homey warm place, you know, uh, as far as the home environment. So basically they raised all our food. I mean, I can milk a cow. I can slop the hogs. I can eat, well, probably couldn't throw a bale now, but <laughs> I mean, I was like, boom, right? Like, boom. <laughs> so, um, no, I, I am the last of the, you know, of my Gen X generation that grew up real agrarian, right? And I thought everyone like knew how to grow a garden and, and do all of these things because we literally, we literally were in it. <laughs> you, and I, um, and, and you're so right. These women are yeah. warriors. They I are. Mean, seriously. 
Yeah, seriously. I mean, both GI gens, right? Well, my bonus mom would be a GI gen. My mom would be a traditionalist. And like they took no guff and they took nothing for granted. Like everything was used to the end of it. In fact, I, you know, when I, when I talk about generations in my speech, I talk about my bonus mom and I being a few years ago and she was in her nineties being at ready for a family dinner. And we were making a lasagna together and at you know, covered it in tinfoil to take it off to the family dinner. And at the end of the night, I'm wiping down the now empty lasagna plate. And I look over at my sweet bonus mom. And what do you think she was doing with the tinfoil? Keep it, she was saving it, it right? Yeah. She was smoothing yeah. it out. She was yeah. saving it. She was operating what I call her generational code. Because when we want to understand from generations, we have to look at their formative experiences between the ages of age 18 because yeah. what we know from knowledge studies is that our brains start to make logic about age seven yeah. and so the major world events and the leaders and the icons that we're watching in those formative years between eight to 18 shape our reality or what i would call our code it kind of creates, creates an algorithm in the back of our mind that we reference the, for the rest of our life even though we don't know it so there's my bonus mom who grew up during the great depression world war ii and to this day she would still be saving a paper towel and reusing it, even though it wasn't COVID. <laughs> like right now, all yeah. of a sudden, we have this whole new appreciation for all of our <laughs> generations that went through that. Yeah. We're going on another generational formative event. But for her, like she couldn't not do it. She could not see the tinfoil. It would actually <clears throat> stress her out yeah. for those formative things that shaped her algorithm. Wow. <laughs> wow. See there here, Christy Jones said her, her grandmother had a drawer full of used tin foil. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And how. Uh Oh, Uh Oh, are you there? It, it locked up on us. Oh, I'm still here. Okay. <laughs> I think your internet. Your internet took a hiccup on it there. So, so, um, Pam Aubrey's talking, I mean, and, and I'm sure you went, I can't even imagine. So, okay. Let, let me ask you this. So how many children lived in the house at one time? Okay. There was a brief year where 11 of us were living in the household at the same time. Oh my gosh. How many bedrooms? Yeah. Uh, we had five bedrooms. Wow but we had bunk beds that stacked us up. And that and the, the thing was to get to sleep on the top bunk. That's what you wanted is to be on the top bunk because the springs on the bed were worn out from years and years of use. So they kind of sagged. And so if you were on the bottom bunk, you like had <laughs> somebody's boom right there in your face. Oh, <laughs> but I saw Pamela, Pamela, I love what you said there because um, when I was a little kid, one of my sisters went off to college and when she came home, they put this plaque up in our one toilet bathroom because we didn't have a shower, just a uh, uh, toilet and a bathtub. And there was a sign and it said, uh, fresh water, 25 cents, uh, fresh bath water, 25 cents, used bath water, five cents. And people would see that and laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh. And I didn't understand the joke for years people didn't think about reusing the bathwater, right? Like that you don't, you don't use somebody else's grody scrody bathwater, but to me, you didn't waste water. So that oh one my. water was just, it's true. Like you, you put four kids in the bath, you know, and you've all been out on the farm all day. And so you're really dirty and you just don't waste water. <laughs> wow. Yeah, the bath once a week. Exactly. Oh. That's right. 
and so, never being late for church, right, Jeff? I mean, oh my gosh, if we were late for church, my dad would march us up to the front pew and make sure everybody saw you coming in late, like the super embarrassment. And then oh. when it came time to go to the basketball game that we all wanted to go to, he would make sure that we were as many minutes late after the tip off as we were minutes late to church. <laughs> oh my. And that way, the next time church came up, all the older kids would make sure to manage the younger kids to get in the car so we weren't late for church. <laughs> and, and you know what's interesting about that is today they would call children's services on you. <laughs> exactly. But exactly, I mean, yeah. It, it's it, but what what level though of responsibility did that give you? What did it teach you? Oh my gosh. I mean, it taught you to think about others first and to make yeah. sure that you were very conscious that you lived in community with others and that you how you behaved made an impact on everyone around you. Yes. And and yes, strategic embarrassment, Jill. That's, that's my wife. Yeah. That's my wife, yeah. But, well, and th so that's a generational code right there. I remember very clearly my father saying, what happens in this house stays in this house, yeah. right? Like you yeah. didn't want outside, you know, people to know business outside the house, like no social media, you know, right. embarrassing right. people, right? right. But uh, but yeah, he would be a strategic embarrassment for sure. If it was something that, you know, you did not get to sit in the back pew. You walked all the way to the front. Oh my gosh. You wow. <laughs> <laughs> that would ensure that you, it, it probably didn't happen very often. I would imagine. It did not. We were not late to church often. No. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> wow. So, so you, um, you ended up, um, and you were in the, this whole, okay. So what, how old were you when you ended up in Eastern Washington? Well, I was, I grew up in Eastern Washington until I went to college and then I went I didn't go that far away. I went down to Portland, Oregon to go to okay. undergrad at the university of Portland down there. Okay. Okay. And, and, and I know you've got like six master's degrees or something. <laughs> well, I I have one master's degree, oh, oh. Uh, but I think we might have talked about when I was in college, since I was paying for it myself, I got about five uh, minors and a couple of majors. <laughs> wow, that's incredible. So what what's your degree in? So my undergraduate degrees were in communications management, theater, music, journalism and television production. Okay. And then my master's degree was in interpersonal communications okay. with a focus on intimacy and marriage, but okay. um, looking at that psychology, sociology intersection of communication. Wow. That makes me <laughs> one of the smartest people that I know then. So, so, so where after college, my gosh, I can't eat like, my my brain is running a million. I'm still thinking about the 19 kids. Um, I can't even m imagine what a family reunion's like. Well, we call them weddings. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, like, hey, I'm gonna make a bowl of macaroni salad for the for the. It would have to be a trough of macaroni exactly. salad. Well, so here's the thing. We get very good at this. Everybody has the thing that they're good at. So my sister Joanne is great at making homemade rolls. And my sister Karen is amazing at pies. And my sister Teresa brings a ham. So everybody's got a thing that you just wow. bring that one thing and ask quantity. 
And uh, so when, you know, there's that kind of gathering, everybody's like, all right, you're going to bring the da, 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 and everybody just, and somehow it works out. Everybody. Now I am great at bringing wine. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be clear. Are you stopping the grapes yourself? Or? What's that? I said, are, are you stopping these grapes yourself or, or are you buying the wine? <laughs> you know, that's a good point. I probably should, but no, <laughs> I don't, I don't. Wow. So, so, wow, that is just amazing. So after college, where, what, like, I, cause I know you, you became a, a public speaker and you do a lot of corporate stuff and, um, but where, where did you go after college? I'm sure you didn't like take to the stage, I would imagine. Maybe you did. Well, so I did a lot of stage work while in college. I was in a lot of theatrical productions and whatnot, and as well as a lot of TV work while I was in college too, because at that time we had like a full professional studio. Yeah. But my first yeah. job out of college, now this is an interesting thing, because you would think that I would receive some mentorship or I would, you know, I was the valedictorian. I was the outstanding, you know, senior woman, outstanding woman in communication. But what I didn't get in college was mentorship. So I took the first job out of college that was um, at the time, like $10,000 for the year. And, you know, I could have gone to a lot of like, if I'd known how to get into a better um, internship or a better track. If I'd had any mentorship or people being like, Hey, somebody should, this is, this is high potential. We should really look out for her. Yeah. Instead, I ended up at a university working in uh, residential life. I ran a, a few of the dormitories um, for the university and I did a bunch of programming um, and helping students with their sense of self and how did they develop their identity. And so it kind uh-huh. of is always one of those things that leads you along the path. Yeah. But I worked for uh, university for a year. And then I went on to work in fundraising. I'd always been good. I'd worked, oh my goodness, I probably worked 31 different uh, jobs during college to cobble together the resources to go to, you know, go to school. I'd actually started in electrical engineering and the Air Force ROTC program because I had to pay for college and there was this engineering uh, scholarship available. So I'm like, all right, maybe I'll be an engineer. Oh my gosh. And that was a horrible, terrible thing. It is when I learned <laughs> that you might be smart, but there are certain people whose brains work that way. Yeah. And there are certain people whose brains don't. Damn. And so like I struggled so hard to eke out A's in classes that I was completely underwater. Like I hadn't had any pre-calculus. I hadn't <laughs> had any computer programming. And here I am in electrical engineering. Thank goodness that the boys that had had a lot of that prep because there was only like two girls in the whole, you know, program at that time. And the boys had no idea how to do the fine arts classes. So I would tutor them in fine arts and communication and they would tutor me in electrical engineering. And somehow I survived that first year. And then the uh, university pulled out the Air Force detachment and they said, hey, if you stick around, we'll give you some grant money. And I was like, done. And done. But it would become valuable later on when I would do consulting or keynoting for engineering companies because I'm like, I know how your mind works. I know. Uh, yeah, <laughs> right. Wow. <laughs> wow. That's, yeah. I See, I thought about, I remember thinking about engineering. Um, and I was always really good at math, but there was, I, I, I just, I don't have the, 
I don't think yeah. I have the personality for it. I remember one of the early tests, and maybe you would have done better on this than me, but they would give you a picture of something that uh, when folded up looked was a particular shape. And you were looking at the flat version of it where you'd see the edges, and they wanted to know, like, what would the shape be when you folded it? <laughs> and I would just cry. <laughs> I was like, I don't know. I don't know what the shape of that would be. It's going to be a crushed ball. Because <laughs> I'm going to get pissed off and crush it into a little ball. That's what, what it's going to be. That's right. Exactly. Uh, yeah. It'll be a soggy, soggy mess. <laughs> <laughs> to this day, origami just ticks me off. <laughs> oh my god! I have so, PTSD so, from from origami. <laughs> oh my gosh, that is hilarious! So you you um, so okay, so what happened? I mean, okay, what, so what, what, yeah, let's get off so origami I, for a minute. So yeah, that's right. So I went on to work in fundraising for private schools because I had done a bunch of smile and dial when I was, you know, a kid working, working jobs at the university where you'd call up the alum and you'd say, hi, I'm on Alayana and I'm calling about. And so I had done a ton of that and had been really good at the phones. And so I went into fundraising for a couple of years for a private girls school and Catholic, yeah. of course. And but the thing that really got me to move to Seattle is I had seen over Easter, so really recent to today, I had seen this black gospel choir that sang in a Catholic church. And I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to swing with that choir. So I found a job in Seattle so I could sing in a black gospel choir. That's how I got here. <laughs> Hold it. You moved to Seattle. So you could sing in a black, did you say black? I did, I said black gospel choir. It was called Shades of Praise. And so it had people of every shade. And it was just this cool little unique Catholic church where like wow. everybody was super integrated and accepted and it was run by a deacon that was a woman. And there were, you know, people of every persuasion on the church council. And I was like, these are my people. <laughs> these are my wow. people. I did. I sung, I sang with that choir for eight years. Did you really? <laughs> Fun fact, my wife sang in the um Catholic some she'll she's on here, she'll tell you. Um the I don't know, a Catholic choir at some big Catholic church. So, wow, that's incredible. And I'm not Catholic. <laughs> well, neither am I anymore. So oh, okay. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a very happy Nietzsche and Buddhist. <laughs> I love it. My siblings are all still Catholic. They are still close with the Pope. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so you, um, so, in, so now you've, you've divulged that you live in Seattle. I do. An amazing place to live. It's a gorgeous place. I mean, um, it's so sunny out today. I can't wait to get out for a walk this afternoon, which is kind of the only thing you can get out and do. <laughs> yeah, but it's so beautiful there. It really? is just, and you know, we talked about this when it's beautiful in Seattle. I mean, there's not a more beautiful place in the world. I've had so many people come here between the months of May and September and say, I want to live in Seattle. I'm like, no, 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 no. 
So just one quick check. It, yeah. It's gray between yeah. the August to, or October to, you know, April. Yeah. Handle gray. Cause that's the problem. People think it rains. It doesn't rain that much. It's gray. It's but misty. I love, it. I love it. If it if it rains in Seattle, it's a it's like this. It's it's a mist. It's a mist. It's a mist. It's yeah. hard to explain, but it yeah. literally is just a mist. I, I remember, remember when I lived out there. I remember women would always complain about their hair. Like, <laughs> yeah, you, you make one of two choices: you resist it and complain, or you say. Yeah, I did. I did do my hair this morning. This is just what it looks like after the rain when you kind of go, I did my hair. Sure. <laughs> and the traffic on the I-5 corridor is absolutely the worst I've ever seen. It's pretty bad. I mean, you know, one of the wonderful things about Seattle is that we have so many incredible companies here. Yeah. And, you know, we have Microsoft, we have we have Boeing, we have, you know, just yeah. Amazon, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And that means massive amount of talent coming into Seattle. And we've got five bodies of water that surround us. So that means bridges, 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 and lots of little bottlenecks to it. So the yeah. infrastructure is not quite up to massive influx. Yeah. I mean, there's just uh, there. And the, the, I think the biggest problem is there's nowhere else to build. <laughs> not, not, not North and South. There's, there's just like, where, where else do they build? That's right. Well, we did start putting in a light rail, but way too long. Seattle does not pass transportation very easily. So 20 years ago, we started talking about a light rail. And if we'd actually done it then, whoa, like yeah. what would be possible now? But now we've got a north and south one that doesn't go far enough north, but it goes all the way to the airport. Now we're doing an east and west one that will make a huge difference. It goes all the way out to the Microsoft campus in Redmond. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, uh, it's a wonderful place. It's just grown really fast. Yeah, it is. A, it's a, it's amazing. So, so at what point, and when did you, when did you move to Seattle? How old were you? Okay. So I'll tell you either how old I was or what year I moved, <laughs> but, there not you go. Really, but not both. Um, so Which would you like to know? <laughs> what year did you move to Seattle? How about there that? you go. That's a yeah. good question. To Sorry ask about that. that. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'm not a professional speaker yet. I'm working, exactly, on, exactly. working on my ethics. So I landed in Seattle in 1993. So I've been here a while. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Wow. You got there when you were like two years old then. Wow. I was. I was. Yeah. Just two. Yeah. Just two years old. So, so <laughs> when did you become, when did you get into the whole, um, professional speaking world. When did that all start happening? I hung my shingle out when I was 26 years old. Oh, wow. So I've been doing, you want to say how many years? We'll just add the math, but I did, I did it really early. And yeah. at that time, nobody wanted to listen to a 24 year old woman, Gen Xer yeah. talk about leadership. You know, because I was more broadly in leadership and communications. I'd done my first work in generational studies. I'd written an honors thesis on it in my undergrad um, and, mm. you know, published that in 92. So I started that work really early, but people weren't interested in Gen Xers. They were like, shmash, mash. You know, there's a million <laughs> yeah. of baby boomers and we're awesome. And right. Gen Xers, nah. And so right. I did more broad leadership and communications, uh, speaking and consulting, and then 
uh, got more deeply into the research and generational stuff about 15 years ago. So before it was cool. Wow. <laughs> wow. So, so, um, and what, when, when we talk about stages, I think a lot of people, you know, we look at Tony Robbins and we look at, you know, and I've always, I've always looked at these speakers. Like I, you know, I'm friends with some big speakers and, and I always have thought of, of these, you know, stages as being, Oh, I'm going to go speak at a stadium. And like, yeah. you know, there's going to be 50,000 people there like Tony gets and, and, or whoever. And, um, but that's not really, that's not really the case that I I've found. I, you know, I've been hired to do some, some corporate speaking, um, and little events where there's 40 or 50 people in the, in the room. And, and so that's, that's more of where a lot of people go, right. For the corporate speaking stuff. You know, so is a mixed. So I've spoken in front of eight people and I've spoken in front of 8,000 and wow. everything in between. And you, I would be considered a high content, high performance speaker. So when I'm delivering a keynote, it's not just the, the, the density of thought leadership or the intricacy of the thought leadership, but full, you know, performance being able to really integrate your body and tell the message in two layers with your performance, as well as with your statistics and your content and weaving that all together. Yeah. Some people will go to either end of the spectrum. They're all thought leadership, but can be a little more, um, shall we say dry in their delivery. Yeah. Um, and then others will be completely on the motivational in the big performance side, but the thought leadership might not be as um, uh, deep in this in the space. Yeah. And so depending on which mix you're doing, you pick your audience. And so I do a lot of work with corporate. I do a lot of work with Microsoft's and Amazon's and, and Bloomberg News, but I also work with the PGA and the NBA. Wow. You know, so I work through a lot of different modalities and sometimes the audience is a super small group of executives and sometimes it's a really large community, you know, major event. I like them both because I get very intrigued by cross-pollinating across industries. I think that's fascinating to be able to say, oh, this is so intriguing. I was working with the NBA on this issue around talent yeah. and yet that issue around talent is very present in this law firm. And I find that to be intriguing to do those intersections between them. But some people are saying, you know, no, I have my thing and I want to do my thing. And yeah. I want to do that 60 minutes and deliver it and then find a new audience, not find a new topic or a new dimension or that kind of thing. And that's an appropriate one, too, because there are plenty of associations. That's the other yeah. thing is. You know, there's thousands and thousands of associations in the U.S., not even talking about going outside the U.S. And, you know, people could do their one talk for multiple associations. Well, let's say before this epidemic that we're in right now, there right. were plenty, 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 plenty of stages. It will yeah. be interesting to see how it evolves now with our new consciousness about being in tight spate quarters with large numbers. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to evolve into something. I don't know what though. Yeah, the jury's still out on it. I, I you know, <clears throat> I know a lot of speakers. You know a lot more. <laughs> for sure, <laughs> that's true. That is one thing being the president of the National Speakers Association will do is have you meet a lot of speakers. <laughs> you have met a lot of speakers, I'm sure. So you know, 
and I, I do think that there is a, um, there's a genuine, um, concern. Is that the word? There's a genuine concern about like, you know, it, there's a lot of speakers that do corporate events or stage, whatever, but they, that's all they do is they go and give talks and that's it. Yeah. Right. And then they leave and they go home um, <clears throat> or to the next event. What do you, what do you think that, what can those people do that are, that are, that, I mean, we kind of talked about this the other day, but what, what are some things that you think people could be doing to prepare for the new normal, if that's even a thing? Great question. The first thing to understand is you are not modality dependent. You can, you might've identified yourself as a mode, as I am a keynoter, and right. that right now might seem limiting. So what you need to do is be able to take a step back and say, here is the IP that I deliver in this modality. How could that IP be pivoted to the times and delivered in different modalities? So it's really kind of start starting to unlayer what you packaged up and start to look at where is that needed now, but in different platforms. And so, People got used to this one thing that I'm doing over and over. Now it's about diversifying the portfolio of delivery and saying, yeah. okay, what is it that I could be doing with that delivery now that people need? But it's not, you cannot be unconscious that the zeitgeist and the mental space of the audience, no matter what modality, has shifted. So you have to be thinking about your thought leadership and how do people need to be hearing it now? So for instance, yeah. in my own space around generational understanding and generational codes, it needs to be, how are millennials responding to being quarantined? We already know that there is an increase of the epidemic of loneliness and that millennials grew up being very collaborative and very much part of communities and teams. And now we've asked them to be quarantined. What is that doing that as a leader, I now need to think about with right. my how do I stay engaged with them? How do I help them move through this? Particularly when their baby boomer parents have always been their go-to. Their baby boomer parents have always been their BFFs. And right now, their baby boomer parents are stressed too. Yeah. So they've got less margin. Our millennial who relies on their BFF coach mentor parent has less margin. And yeah. so as a leader, I need to be more facile in how I do that. So now I'm still talking about generational codes, but I'm pivoting the IP to the time and the situation my people are in. Wow. That was powerful. So, <clears throat> and you said some words I'm going to have to Google later. <laughs> <laughs> oh, which one? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. You're so smart. So, so I think, I think that, <clears throat> um, and we talked about this, you know, I have a friend that's doing a big virtual virtual summit, right? And and uh -huh. he he's reaching out to some some bigger name speakers and saying, "Hey, would you come on and and you can sell your course, your book, your whatever?" Um, and they're like, "Yes, but um, I'm still getting my my full fee or a huge fee to come on and do a virtual summit." And it's like. I don't know if that's the right direction you should be going. You'll, you'll get blacklisted for that. <laughs> I mean, you know, because news travels fast. 
Like, hey, don't call that dude or don't call that gal. She wants $10,000 to show up to an online summit. And I think that, um, you know, we kind of need to open, op maybe open up. And I this is causing that, right? It's causing us, to, it's forcing us to open our minds and look at other possibilities. Yes. And that's, there are two pieces in what you just said that I want to underline. Yeah. One, helping right now is definitely the new selling. To be able to be generous and say, how can I help you win? In fact, I was on a live stream with Marshall Goldsmith yesterday and he said, listen, I have come to a certain point in my life and career where yes, I wrote off a million dollars in speeches this year. So that was like gulp, right? Gulp that that, yeah. that he's already had to write that off. He said that won't come back. But I'm really looking at what do you need right now that I can help you with? Because I am a certain stage in my career where I have more to give. That kind of personality. Right. He went like so that later on you get in my funnel and on the line, you buy my product. And blah, 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 blah. People need to be thinking right now about how is something that I have that I could give context or I could give insight on something that would be useful to you now. And if I do a great job, yes, reciprocity has been established. And later on, when you're needing something, there's a high probability you're gonna think about me. And so that kind of reciprocity back and forth is really important right now. The other thing too is when it comes back to the time to say what our price points are, yeah. everyone has to be very conscious. What happened? to the people that you're giving that price point to. Now, there are businesses that are killing it, killing it, killing it all day long right now. They are making money hand over fist. Yep. And it might be that they really do have that price point. So be really conscious of what's that industry or what's that organization dealing with, and maybe they can't sustain it. But don't be tone deaf when you give your price point because you will find out that people talk and they yep. say, has this person not been listening? That right now, that's one of the worst things that you can do because when people are in whatever stage of trauma they're in, and most of us are in some stage of trauma right now, whether it's activated a complex PTSD situation or just a PTSD pure situation, people are, one day they're fine and the next day they don't know why it, but they can't get the motivation to like do anything today. So it really comes back to focusing on what is one thing I want to accomplish today? What is one thing I want to move forward today so that you can stay in the moment? And when you're delivering your price point, you don't know what moment they're in. So be as sensitive as you can so that they have a chance to come back and say yes or be in dialogue with you. But if you're like, by gosh and by golly, that's what I was getting in April or sorry, in January of 2020. That's what I'm getting in April of 2020. You can try it, but you're not going to have the same. Even if they pay it, even if they, you know, like they really needed you, yeah, they're going to pay it with a particular thought process about you that is not what you wanted. That's right. Amen. And and Jeffrey Miller just said it. Zig's quote: "You can have everything in life you want if you just help enough other people get what they want." And I think you know, I I, I told you I you know I have a lot of people that I'm helping learn this, this right. medium right here. And, and it, it's, it's amazing to me how many, there's a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of professional speakers that have no idea how to do what we're doing right now. I mean, they, anybody can hit the live button and go live and talk, yes. but 
um, there's a different there's there's a different way you know to engage the audience than you would from a stage. So you know, I think that. Yeah. Pardon me. Uh oh, you're frozen. Exactly. Oh, I did. Oh, oh there, you're back. You're back. You're Wait, back. I'm still here. You're here. <laughs> you're here. I, I think that you're so right. The the word engage is probably the biggest thing. So people have to understand: Are you used to uh, delivering the sage from the stage, where you get up, everyone has to be quiet, and you deliver? This is not a sage from the stage. Nope. This is a can I engage that we create an experience together? And that's what people are looking for right now. They're looking for someone to hold space. Yep. They're looking for someone to allow them to declare the experience they're in so they can move through that experience. That's what this kind of platform allows for is that engagement. I, you know, I, it, it is true. And, and, you know, giving away your, you know, I've given and given and given for many years, just given content for free. Like here, I'm just going to do a live stream. I'm going to give whether it's business, life, whatever it is, but some direction on whatever the topic would be. And, and you know, as a result, people come back to me and go, hey, I've been watching you for years and now I want to do business with you. Right? Exactly. It's the exactly. way it works. It's the way that it works. And and so do you feel like that's the direction that um, the NSA is going to have to go? I mean, pushing their speakers to start doing some more of a hybrid model? Well, we have such a diverse membership that each one else, each one's model of how their portfolio looks is completely different. Yeah. So what we are doing right now during this time is every single Wednesday, we have a different resource of how to be preparing your business and using your business and, and, and pivoting your business. And it's everything from the technologies you should use. We started out with the, how, you know, making sure your financials are in order. What can you do during this time? How do you deal with your mental mindset? So we're providing all of those resources to the members of NSA right now to help them through these different roller coaster stages of pivoting and expanding and reframing your business. Wow. How in the world did you become, is that an elected position? Like, did people have to cast ballots? Yes, yes, it is elected position. Wow. Well, and it's a little, it's, it's a little bit more. Uh, you are elected to the board of directors okay. and um, you have to have, you know, a skill set of helping organize organizations. So I've actually been on the board of over 50 organizations and this is my 21st presidency. So whether it was universities or nonprofits or charities, over the course of my career, I've always led with being of service. That's just been a core DNA part of who I am. And wow. it, it's one of those things that when it came to NSA, they asked me to run for the board. And I'm like, oh, I'm good. I've done a lot of boards. No, no, no. I, I do not need it on my resume. And they're like, yes, but we need you. Oh, that's like kryptonite to me. We need you. So yeah, no. I ran for the board. And then after a, a few years, they uh, people nudged me to raise my hand to be in service as president. So this is that is awesome. And final 
presidency. <laughs> My wife just uh, nominated you to run for president of the United final, States. Final, I think. No, final presidency. Final presidency. <laughs> Looks like 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue may be your new address. I, so, it is funny. I've had a few people over the years try to get me to run for politics, and I'm like, I will take that with the compliment that it is intended. No, thank you. <laughs> no, thank you. I mean, all you have to do is get your family to vote for you and you're going to win. I mean, oh. that's going to be the popular vote. I'm sorry, sometimes the family vote is the toughest one to get. <laughs> right. Remember, I'm the little sister in my family's world. <laughs> yeah, I love that. That's awesome. Wow. So if, you know, for anybody right now um, that's not a speaker, maybe they're just a, a you know, they're, they're not pursuing the speaker world. They're pursuing a career in waiting tables, or maybe they wash dishes at a restaurant or they're whatever that are, that are currently in a, I can't even imagine being in a position where you literally have to relearn something completely new because that's just not there yeah. anymore, right? It's just not there for now, at least, right? Um, so how, what do you say to those people to help them get through this time right now? So the people that need to learn something new to create the opportunity for, for future yeah. work or for speakers? Just to get unstuck wherever they are. I think the first thing I would say is get really curious. Like think, you know, think about the things that you most enjoy about your life. What do you enjoy reading? What do you enjoy listening to? What do you enjoy? And what do people ask you about a lot? Because if you're starting to explore what else could I do or what else would I be good at or what else would I love, start by getting really curious and also getting somewhat quiet, journaling, starting in the morning and doing some what I love to call automatic writing, not my term, but it's one of the terms yeah. I like, where you ask a question and then you set a timer for like 10 minutes and you just don't stop writing until the timer goes off. Because right. one of the things this time is it is a perfect time to go a little bit deeper and use this as the impetus to something new. And so it starts with, what can I control? What is in my control right now? What I do with my time and my mind during this. And so putting in place a couple of practices that let you figure out what you're thinking about. Because if you stay in the just like headspace without doing something kinesthetic to help you yeah. get it out, then it gets overwhelming. And then you're at the mercy of everything coming at you. But if you're starting to think about what else, Start that automatic writing, even write, you know, a question to yourself. And then again, relax and just answer for 10 minutes because you don't know it might be three minutes in, it might be seven minutes in, it might be eight minutes and 32 seconds in. Yeah. But you, you go, I forgot that passion. I didn't even know. I, I didn't even that. remember that I did that. So that's an access point. That's so brilliant. Anna, I know you have to go. I want to say thank you for coming on and sharing your story, your wisdom, the laughter. Oh my God. <laughs> your, your story is unbelievable. So if you just joined, go back and listen to the beginning of this on the replay. This woman will blow you away. Her story is, it's incredible. Wow. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. It was a delight to be with you all.
Yeah. And so thank you to everybody who's watched and shared this out. Don't hang up on me yet, but I'm going to end the broadcast. Thank you guys so much. We'll see you soon.